0: People come in to me having started off with a niggle, and it's always a niggle. It's, well, I was training really well. I did a lot of s at the start uh, of my, my running or my fitness journey, whatever it might be. And then I let it go a little bit, and they, they always try to prove a point almost that it's like, well, it wasn't that bad at the start. It wasn't that big of an issue, but it, it inevitably turns into it if you leave it unaddressed. But, you know, I think there's there's a lot of simple movements you can do, like, you know, quads, hamstrings, glutes just keep things taken over and certainly calves as well like you don't want to be you don't want to leave yourself exposed and I think I've probably realized that from my training but I've maybe reinforced it as well having seen the people that come in and are who are injured what have they done wrong and what can we maybe improve and it's it's inevitably an, S&C related
1: hello and welcome to for fit's sake the podcast brought to you by FFS gyms I'm joined by Mike and Rudds as usual how are you doing fellas all good excellent ready to be ready to rock yeah. And we've got a special guest in-house, Keane Gormley. Keane, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So Keen, when I was kind of thinking about this, about what way to introduce you, I think I've thought long and hard, intern to international coach would probably be <laughs> a good way, good way to kick it off. So uh, for most of our members in the, the FS community will know Keane from 2018, 2019, uh, around that period of time when we used to remember what the date was, uh, when he was an intern at FS. gyms, came in with Steele, yourself and Steele were the two interns yeah. battling it out for full-time employment. Um, since then, you've obviously left us high and dry to go work for Munster Academy. Now you're working with the Irish women's team yep. in the middle of a Six Nations campaign at the minute. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and you're also working out in Santry in the sports clinic out there? Yeah, working out there yeah, as a rehab coach as well. So a lot going on. Obviously, the, the highlight would have been your time at FFS all those years ago. Uh, it depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, we'll we get in. There's so much to talk about. And I think for people who are starting at the very start of this episode... There's a lot to learn, obviously, from your own training experience, what's happening just in, in high-level sport what you're working at and how you compare that to working in, say, in sports clinic at the same time, mixing professional sport with recreational athletes, rehab, all that kind of stuff. But also for people who are listening to this who are aspiring coaches trying to get into the fitness industry, who are in the fitness industry maybe looking to work with teams, work in private practice, whatever it is, I think there's going to be some really good things for, for people to take away from, from that as well. But before we do that, we usually kick off with chatting about our training and what's happening. So Mikey Rudd's that funky
2: or unusual happening on the training front? Mikey smashed a 5K last night, so I let him go first. Tonight. <laughs>
3: Were you bragging about that this morning?
2: Not really bragging a banner. What's he? He had a banner, a banner when he walked in. I smashed. <laughs> yeah, oh, it. okay. Right. D
3: was at the door cheering me in when I came back. Yeah, <laughs> nice, um, yeah. No, I just went out, did a bit of a 5K, trying to test my timing over certain kilometers of my race, which I'm running on the first of May. So uh, I'm currently training for a half marathon in the Great Limerick Run on May Bank the weekend. Uh, with the big plan of running the full thing uh, somewhere later on this year, probably September, October, ideally the month before Craig's wedding, not after his wedding. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the general plan. So I'm doing a good bit of running at the moment, kind of short run during the week, longer run at the weekend, um, and also trying to keep my strength training up as well with two or three sessions a week. I was in at Rhodes on Saturday morning, did a suspension and bodyweight class. Um, very enjoyable nice yeah that's where I'm at and Rods,
2: what about you I am currently doing a good bit of lifting uh, doing the S&C classes that I'm dishing up for everyone else uh, so doing that at least two or three times a week and then I'm bringing, bringing myself out to my shed and getting on the kettlebells getting on the rower keeping keeping the body ticking over uh, back at home
1: the Rod staples crawling kettlebells and rowing if, you'd if you walk into a gym you're probably doing one of those three things is exactly, that fair yeah. Yeah, that's fair statement and Keen, what about you um, anything I, obviously you've done some crazy things over the last couple of years a couple of marathons and a lot of cycling and, and yeah, anything happening at the minute yeah so back
0: in my first marathon was 20, 2019 I think it was in Galway and depending on who you ask apparently it was downhill they, they don't let me have the time uh, they, oh. they say it was downhill but it wasn't it was just very 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 flat um but that was that was my first kind of introduction picked an easy race did it suffered a bit with a lot of knee pain afterwards it was like what have i done wrong here so i've tried to now pick another marathon which i have lined up for the middle of may in copenhagen but trying to maybe approach that a little bit differently get my C training around it to be a little bit better to maybe make myself more robust but uh yeah a lot of long runs at the moment. Um, was over in France for the game in the weekend and did 21k there so it's kind of nice to be able to mix in my training with work and and sort of byproduct of that exploring a few places that you're that you're in and yeah, it
1: was enjoyable. Stopping for a coffee and croissants based on Strava, it's location I was picking you up over the weekend. So, was that mid run, pre run, um, post run? No comment. Very okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> you said something interesting there. Um, myself and Mike have had this conversation a lot recently. Um, and, like, a lot of, lot of guys in the gym doing kind of middle distance, long distance events, triathlons, quest races, all these kind of things. Like, the importance of strength training uh, mixed in with that. And I think the biggest challenge is. It's time, really, from from what I've seen from training for these kind of things and talking to Mike. Like, but how important from you, you know the background you're in, which is working out in the sports clinic, haven't done it yourself? How important is strength training?
0: I think it's probably the thing that's under underestimated. Like, it's it's something everyone does in the early stages of their training because they've more time. They might only be doing five k's, for example. You know, their their long run is ten k, which might only take them an hour, an hour and ten, even if they're kind of on the slower end of the spectrum. So the time isn't really the issue, but as soon as you push towards the 20K, certainly 25K, you're out for two and a half, three hours potentially, and people are starting to find themselves going, oh, I don't actually have time now, the next day I need to recover, I'm, I'm stiff, I'm sore. And then the S&C falls onto you know, the back burner a little bit. And I think that's when you, that's when you actually need it most. Um, and, I, and if I kind of relate it back to what I see in the clinic a lot, people come in to me having started off with a niggle and it's always a niggle it's well i was training really well i did a lot of C at the start uh, of my my running or my fitness journey whatever it might be um and then i let it go a little bit and they they always are kind of trying to trying to prove a point almost that it's like well it wasn't that bad at the start it wasn't that big of an issue but it, it inevitably turns into it if you leave it unaddressed but you know, I think there's there's a lot of simple movements you can do, like you know, quads, hamstrings, glutes. Just keep things ticking over, and certainly calves as well. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to leave yourself exposed. And I think I've probably realised that from my training, but I've maybe reinforced it as well, having seen the people that come in and are, who are injured. What have they done wrong, and what can we maybe improve? And it's it's
1: inevitably S&C related. Yeah, because Mike, you would have probably worked with physios here, like a lot of calf and Achilles issues. Like what yeah. what's the advice? Because I suppose there's people listening to this who. You know, they they want like basic advice for what the best thing to do is to keep keep the lower body in shape while running to try and prevent injury. Really, so like you you would have got good advice from the physios here is there any of that that might be useful for people.
3: Yeah, so like to be honest, it was during it was actually probably in the middle of twenty twenty, just as we were going to semi coming out of lockdown. Good on. year, good year. Yeah, <laughs> spent most of it at home. Um, and I was I was out running one day, just felt a twinge in my calf. Calf went, came back, came came in to see Collie here, and um, he just gave me. I suppose basic enough advice that like I just need to foam roll my calves a bit more to release. There was a lot of tension in the lower part of my calf, especially, um, towards my Achilles. Um, so a lot of foam rolling around that and obviously a bit more detailed than the warm-up. So sometimes I just, I'd just get out there, I'd just warm up my hips, I'd, warm, I'd just get a bit of movement in, get my heart rate up a small bit, then I'd run out the door after about seven or eight minutes. Whereas I was probably ignoring my calves, like simple things like calf walkouts or even calf raises, single leg calf raises in the kitchen before... Before I get out onto the onto the road, they were probably the things I was ignoring, even though I have a history of calf problems. I was just feeling like I need to get my body moving here and then I'll head out. So it was probably been a bit more detailed with the warm up and holding in on the area that has caused me problems over the year. Years, sorry. Um, and also a bit more with the S&C side of things like getting in early and just, I suppose, getting my calves warm before a session as opposed to just jumping in and again, ignoring that in a warm up. Um that's helped a lot but then I suppose I got that right and I probably spent a bit too much time on the single leg stuff and then came back and about three weeks after I came back and I was running again 5-6k I did the other calf (laughs) and I was literally going up a level like from the roll up onto a foot pad and I just stepped and felt a pop in my calf came back in and kind of went through the same routine for six or seven weeks then got back again running and to be honest I've incorporated that into a lot of my running now. And simple things like going out the back garden, using the step and just kind of letting my calf fall below it, pushing up through my toes. Simple strengthening work just to wake that area up and then get out running and isolate them a bit more. I haven't had a problem since, since touch wood. Um, it's been really good. So just that routine and it's quite basic, but it's just not, it's been a small bit more detailed into the area that I have a history, I suppose, of, of pulling on a simple thing like a, out for a jog. And that's really helped me. It's just isolating the area of it. I think that routine is the key as well. Like it doesn't
0: have to be a separate session or a separate day's training. It's, it's incorporated into a warm up, incorporated into a session you're already doing and just be a bit more focused. You know, you haven't had issues because I can, I can assure you that your calves are stronger and you're more robust and, and that's all you need. It's, you know, you don't have to, you know, to revolutionize the wheel. Like it's just put in something that hasn't been there in the past and you're suffering with issues there, whether it's a knee, whether it's a hip, whether it's your back. Just put something in, but but make sure it's targeted. Don't just assume that you're doing enough.
1: We're very fortunate in the way having Rudz here, who's working obviously with the Irish men's rugby team in an SNC role, Keen working with the Irish ladies team in an SNC role. You guys are obviously working as part of a big multidisciplinary team. And probably when you take it out of that professional sport role, you're working in Santry. You've got physiotherapists there. Rudz, you're working here. You've got physiotherapists here. What are the main differences that you see, or, or even the main similarities between when recreational athletes like say Mike are trying to recover or to implement something into their training to make them more robust versus or similarities with professional athletes when they're getting advice because you're the guys who you know you don't diagnose but you're the guys who help to implement whatever the physio has put in place so what are the main things that stand out to you between those two characteristics of people
2: well I think obviously you have to take into account that like every person is going to be different and every issue will be different. Like some people aren't strong enough. Some people aren't mobile enough. Some people have previous injuries. So like it's hard in terms of putting a specific on it. But I think like the differences between here, including myself as general population versus a professional athlete, the demands of the sport a huge demand on that person so then yes the and see work that you're fitting in around it you're trying to be really uh, detailed around what are the gaps in that sport what does that sport need and hit that but then obviously the demand is always from the intensity at which they're training on the pitch the intensity of the matches travel etc those are things and then you're trying to make sure that you're giving them what they need from a strength perspective to meet those demands and um, And then on the flip side, in terms of general population, myself included, probably the demands of life are actually the things that encroach on it, whether that be um, having multiple goals, because it's not necessarily like training for a sport. So like for Mike's example, he's out and he's doing uh, running, training for running, but he still wants to be strong in the gym, still wants to build some muscle. So like you have all those other things, and then you have a full-time job, you might have kids, you might have study, you know, like you have all those other things. So those things impact on the gym work so i think that the main both populations it's just kind of knowing what the demands are from outside your strength program what the person needs and then trying to fill those gaps and and a lot of things will be similar with regards to like The big difference is probably the professionals are lifting heavier weights and are stronger than myself and the rest of the general population. But we're doing a lot of the same movements to get strong. A lot of the program would be similar in regards to having those fundamental movements from, you know, your push-pull, hinge, squat, lunge, and then you have your core work, assistance work and stuff. And then you're looking at your isolated work around your hamstrings, calves. I think probably the last thing for me on that – we probably don't do a huge amount of calf work in our gym, uh, probably something we could do a little bit more of. And the reason for that is we don't do a huge amount of running in the actual gym. So we tend to do focus more on kind of that hip trunk area because a lot of the people we see in the gym have issues around lower back and issues around hip and lack of depth there. So, whereas obviously with the field sport, there's a running demand in it. So we do a lot more calf strengthening in that. Yeah, and I think even just to kind of layer on to that, <clears throat> the... That
0: idea, and the kind of the, the the framework in my head is kind of that no matter what program you're developing it, it sort of follows a general and individual and a specific component, so your general is your push pull you know um upper body lower body hinging movements, then your individual is like right well, what does this individual need? Are they you know predisposed to okay they're a bit tighter in this area of the body you know they are walking around with. know a specific type of posture whether it's you know kyphosis or lordosis in the back whatever it might be i want to try and train them out of that but then that's your general population for the most part ticked off you say well if you can address a general training demand of being strong enough being fit enough you're doing okay if you can address some individual you know areas for improvement that you're predisposed to something great that's that's job done the only real other layer for me then is that specificity, like you mentioned, of, well, what does this team sport need? Like if I'm working with rugby players, they're definitely going to need, you know, a little bit more strength or they're going to need, you know, if you're positional uh, specific work, whether that's fitness or, or strength. But in the, in the clinic, like I could get a footballer come in and they're saying to me, I play five a side, I've rolled my ankle, it keeps rolling. What do I do? Okay, well, your specifics has to be your change of direction someone else comes in and they're a long distance runner i keep getting lateral hip pain okay well i need to look at your mechanics because you've clearly done all of the general and all of the individual work you're strong enough but there's something leaking out there Um, and usually it's around running mechanics so that's their specific it's specific to the thing you're doing we improve that versus then a hockey player that comes in who could be you know a, a young uh you know, female athletes in school who's saying, I just don't have that support. I don't have the the gym, you know, access. It's just not encouraged in the school, for example. What do I do? And you have to then come back and say, Right, well, your specifics, I don't necessarily need to even worry about your sport. Just get your general, just get your individual stuff done, and we'll be fine. So it's always coming back to that. And if you can fill those three buckets, you're doing great. And, and I think, again, reiterating what Rudd said, that specific is the is the main difference then with professional sport you have to be more specific just sorry what what i was
2: going to ask you just before moving on from the running thing and strength work for running i think a lot of people like a like a template to follow so like again every person is going to be different but i suppose if you were looking at you know your typical person training for like a half marathon in terms of like days or number of sessions what and obviously fit it to their life but in an ideal world would it be one or two strength sessions a week and then in terms of that just ideas around number of sets and the kind of movement a couple of movements you might pick because i think a lot of people when they're looking at strength training to supplement what they're doing they tend to make it too much so they're thinking it's got to be an awful lot whereas you're the expert here not me but i'd have ideas around strength training for other things and it's actually you don't need to do a huge amount a couple of exercises two sets three sets twice a week that's like 15 20 minutes on top of what you're doing it's not a huge amount to like tick a couple of boxes what would that be in an ideal world for your person who's maybe half marathon 10k how many times a week and roughly how many exercises how many sets
0: lots of specifics <laughs> yeah. no, that's an easy question
2: but uh, no like if you think of like even using Mike's example
0: so most people will say they're Mike going to gets run. used a lot a yeah. lot of examples on this podcast this good. <laughs> so if you were thinking like well most people are going to run two maybe three times a week yep straightforward enough every second day is used the way I think about it like you want to go day on day off would probably then have two days somewhere whether it's Thursday Friday off so you can run on the weekend or you leave your weekend free because you want to do whatever else so if you use that as your, your main sort of framework and then you're saying, right, well, I definitely want one S&C session in there, like definitely want one. Could I get two? Maybe, but I'm probably going to start with one. I'm happy with just one session because as you say, they they accumulate and they add up. But if you start in then and, and it's something maybe the, the clinic in Santry has sort of taught me is you don't have to be as specific with your sets and reps for people that don't have that training history or that training age. So people are going to never come back to me in the clinic because they're going to realize that I I use the same thing quite a lot. But, you know, three sets of eight to start off with. On every exercise, you add two reps each week, you get to three sets of 15, 16 in four weeks or five weeks. It's a pretty decent progression and it's easy to do at home. But it doesn't have to change. Like if if you find an entry point that's difficult enough for three sets of eight, the simple progression for someone is you don't have to add weight, you don't have to do anything different, just add two reps each week. That's as simple as it needs to be, um, and then you think of the movements. And if I kind of pick the main injuries you get in in running, like that, I see it's a lot of tendinopathies. It's a lot of overload injuries, whether that's in around the ankle, you know, you've tib post, Achilles tendinopathy, like you mentioned, um, your knee patella maybe patellofemoral pain, but it's treated pretty pretty similar. And then lateral hip in the sort of the, the middle age population, med tendinopathies are, are are pretty pretty big. Um, you know, plus or minus then some adductor tendinopathies that may be a bit more uncommon. But I suppose the goal is that you want to have rock-solid lateral hip if you work from the top down. You need to be doing some form of crab band, uh, clam. You need to be doing a sideline leg raise. Just, just one of them. Just tick that box. Again, three sets of eight. Keep it simple. You then want to be thinking around your quad. Are you doing a, a seated leg extension with a couple of bands around the ankles, like mini bands? Are you doing a single leg squat? Just something to know, okay, I'm doing some quad work here hamstring is always good because that balance element of right well if you've rock solid quads but you're you know you're poor and your posterior chain probably not great so you might be doing like a you know i'm thinking of exercise you could do at home you could easily be doing a hamstring bridge easy progression double to single leg great so that's three things ticked off lateral hip uh, quad hamstring hip thrust is always a, a staple i think most people who've an interest in training have probably come across a, a hip thrust and i think doing that right will make you bulletproof around the hips then your last one is calf so you've got five exercises you've three sets of eight to ten on each of them you know they're all relatively simple movements that you know most people wouldn't be too alienated if you gave it to them you don't and, and for me you don't have to start with all five you 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 use that that framework of right well what's your general training you're taking that off in in the gym for example you're doing your your, your various classes. You need a little bit more specific work maybe you you've lacked some work with your your calf for example okay well just add in your calf work and maybe put some lateral hip work in because they pair quite nicely together if you're if you're leaking energy around the the hip you're probably going to be leaking energy around the calf and vice versa and then if you've got knee pain just pick you know hip thrust we know from the research hip thrust is going to improve knee pain and um, as is quad and hamstring and then you just use that to fill the blanks in but you're not going to do more than five exercises you're not going to do more than <clears> one to two sessions a week. You're already doing three runs. It doesn't change from that then.
3: That's great. You know, start, start,
0: start, it starts easy. Yeah. But once you master that, you're on, you're on to a winner.
1: It's a really nice framework kind of working through the areas that could break down because, like, I'm in, it, it automatically in my head thinking, right, well, you know, I can make my quad. And one, like, I like doing rear field split squats or like doing Spanish squats. You can kind of pick and choose what suits you. And they are kind of things, like you said, you can do them, especially when you're running if it is to become more, a bit more specific and you're just not feeling great or you're feeling one of those energy leaks that you're talking about you know you can you can double up on that very easily at home or when you're travelling and out and about so I think that's I think that's really really good Rods to just double back to one thing you said there before, before Keenan was talking like do you think that recreational athletes right could take that more macro view of everything like you talked about with the athletes so you talked about athletes obviously the demand of your sport um, is, is different because it's all about performing at the weekend right whereas all is recreation athletes tend to have a lot of goals but do you think that recreation athletes sit down often enough and say right i have study, i have work i have kids i have whatever and put the thought and time into planning uh you know four weeks or six weeks of training like micro that will allow them to perform their best and not have things creep in or is it a case of you know just the majority of people they pick a goal they do their best to work towards it like would they benefit from sitting down and really tying in Like, how practical is it? Obviously, you'd benefit from doing it because you'll know, like, for example, like, if I'm traveling, I'm not going to get good sleep. I shouldn't plan on training at six o'clock the next morning, whatever it is. And I know it's really easy for people listening to this to be like, well, that's real life. It's impossible. But, like, do you think people could do that more, should do that more? Like, do you do it for, I'd imagine you have a broad idea of it when
2: you're planning your, your training. So just to take the example, for me, I absolutely do. So every year, sit down, write out goals physically, what I want to do. Um, and then we try and go work back from like, right, what do I want to do right now? And I'd spend a quarter working on that and then hopefully achieve it. If not, I'll carry on working on it. So for, for my example, last year I did the rowing challenge didn't do as much strength work. Now I just want to get strong again. So now first quarter, set some goals around strength, work towards those. Second quarter, continue with those because I didn't hit them all. So just continue to get strong. And then down the line, I got one or two other things I'd like to do this year. So if I hit them, I'll move on to that next thing. And so most of my training is around strength. But then at the same time, I'm a, an S&C coach, personal trainer, have been doing this for years. I take it quite seriously. So like, it doesn't. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right for everybody. So I think we use obviously in the gym. We've got a pyramid that we use for coaches, and that's kind of our framework. So at the bottom of the pyramid, we've got people first, form first, consistent, and enjoyable movement, and what you talked. And then the next thing is you can increase the intensity, make it harder, and the last thing is you have your higher level goals, things you're working towards. So I think for if you're a person who struggles to exercise consistently. That might help you having that structure to things that might help you or it might not. Most important thing is you just get used to actually consistently moving your body three to five times a week and enjoy it. Like that's more important than anything. Uh, And if the goals help you to do that, great. If actually being really flexible and just doing whatever's on that helps you to do that, then that's brilliant. And then going past that. So once you're in the habit of consistently moving three to five times a week, enjoying it then I think it really does help of just sitting down and going, okay, what do I want to get better at? And can I dedicate a little bit more time to that? So in our world, in our classes, when a person's at that stage where they're doing three or five sessions a week, enjoying their training – then it might be actually I want to get stronger now. And we've seen that with people where they start doing less Metcons, more SNCs, and and really do that and work towards start tracking their numbers on their lifts so they know how many chin-ups they got a month ago. Can you progress that? Um, so hopefully that helps. I think for most people it'll certainly help, but starting to exercise consistently is the most important thing.
1: Yeah, I think having some framework like that general awareness you talked about, like fle- flexibility could be important in your training. I yep. think it's what I've kind of seen from a lot of people I've coached is that like... I'll give an example There's a guy I trained a couple of years ago who was struggling to lose weight for a long time and we stripped it back to like uh, you know he'd be really busy with studies so studying for his accountancy exams and whenever they'd come up or whatever was a big period of study come up he'd fall off the wagon and the whole thing would break down right so we used the pyramid and said look in these periods of like very high stress very high demand all you have to do is keep hitting your movement minimum of like you know three to five 30 minute sessions a week performance does not matter like don't count any reps don't worry about the distance that you run or you walk yeah. or whatever but like for him adopting that like macro level of his his life and how training and his lifestyle all fit in together he's become like more consistent than he's ever been and he's gone through these periods where he's travelled a lot and he's always come back to like well if I'm traveling and I can't find a gym or I can't do whatever I just get my 5-30 minutes of movement in some of them turn into 45 minutes an hour and he's clocked up you know four and a half five hours of training whereas in the past it would have been right I'm traveling this isn't an ideal scenario I got caught in the hot because I had a late night at work or whatever but just trying to get an understanding of how it all fits together I think will help people to avoid those kind of periods where you can and I'm doing the inverted commas like fall off the wagon or lose momentum because momentum is important like we're, we're fickle enough individuals like we all work you know we're, we're busy as well it, it, it takes it doesn't take a huge amount to derail us if we're not in the best headspace or we don't have like a, you know feel like we're in control of our environment so I think if people could definitely try and adopt like a leaner version of what you're talking about with working with professional athletes I think the pyramid is probably a really good way of just layering it and being consistent first then working towards performance then working towards goals would be a nice thing for people to take away from it hey, even
0: to layer on to that sorry Rhodes uh reading on the plane the there today atomic habits um it's a great book if anyone's kind of read it or, or looking for something to read but one of the things they mention is like remove resistance from the habits and i think you you sort of hit the nail on the head there it's like the habit is not going to the gym and lifting heavy it's like your habit is you know five three to five workouts 30 minutes a ago but if you get leaner again and i love that word making it making that sort of concept lean and just cutting all the fat away from it like make it simpler and and they actually use the example in the book your habit doesn't have to be going to the gym it's it's actually putting on your gym gear because if you're standing there in your gym gear you're gonna go yeah I've got change now I probably just go go for my walk go for my run ah, look I've got ready now I may as well just get in the car and go to go to the gym but strip it right the way back you're not gonna you're not gonna get in the car drive into FFS and then go I don't want to do this you're just gonna get in you know like it's it's but people think it's that it's the I have to do my Metcon once a week just get in the car make it simpler okay on Wednesday
1: morning at 7 o'clock I'm going to be in the car for my 7.30 session mm. keep it simple I, I think like environment I kind of talked about this we talked about this recently like environment is so important with that the exact that's the exact example Like there's a guy, Keith Egan who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago he's winding me up the whole time like sending me pictures when he's in the gym like so I was on holidays in Portugal in January and he's sending me pictures at like six in the morning. You know, I'm up because my son is awake at like five o'clock in the morning now and I'm always awake before six. So I'm sitting there like, you know, this asshole's in the gym. I'm like, right, just gives you that little nudge to like get your shoes on and go. And at that exact example you give, like in my head there recently, he sent me a picture at like six o'clock in the evening and I'm training for doing a triathlon next next week. Oh God. Uh, So like trying to get ready for that. And I I didn't want to go to the pool at all. Like really didn't want to go swimming. But he sent me the picture I was standing looking at my swimming togs on the floor right and I was like oh god put them on so I did I was like don't think about going to the pool just put on the togs put one leg in genuinely this was like a real mental battle put the other leg in <sighs> put your put your goggles in the bag put the goggles in the bag by the time I knew it then I togs on and I had my bag in my hand and Courtney my wife came in she's like what are you doing I was like I'm going to the pool and then you just get and go but like that like that kind of concept of like if you have habits if you make it simple like for me it wasn't like get up get dressed walk to the pool go away and get ready to go just put your togs on and and then it'll snowball but like having people around you as well I think is you know like you're obviously working in an environment where again here or in Santry, you've got like that ecosystem of different coaches personalities in professional sport it's the same I think for anyone who has any kind of training goals the people you surround yourself with is to me anyway personally is by far the most important thing people who will drag you up with them and not drag you down it's the same as life you want to be around people who inspire you and motivate you so i think if you can have good habits good environment and kind of a good like macro level of how training fits into your life i think no matter what your goals are you'll be in a pretty good place
2: and, and just the last thing on that i think that might be helpful for people again just in that general population setting where the battle is you know to consistently exercise is understanding and it would be the same with sport so in elite sport you're not always going and doing like pvs every week do you know so like i think for for the people that we speak you have a periodized plan for the for the for for your year but then or even within that the plan can change on a different day so say for instance a player uh, has their first game at a certain level and the next week, they're going to be fatigued compared to normal, probably. We do monitoring each day and we see how the players present. So the plan can change. So if Kean, for example, started his first game on the weekend, we know he's probably going to struggle in terms of the start of that week physically. And it's going to be more about filling his tank up and getting him ready to train later in the week. And... Um, But even at that, if we expected him to be good, but he comes in on the Tuesday, that's our big strength day, but he's not ready to lift big. It's okay. Let's just do 85% of what you normally do. Let's just get the movement in uh, or just do a recovery session. Don't do the strength work, whatever it is, but you change the plan on the day, even though you have a periodized plan. I think something that might help the people who who are struggling to exercise consistently is the understanding that it doesn't always have to be a PB. So, for example, in our classes, we've just done three months. So we do a three-month plan. We've just finished our third month. And our third month, we call it like realization phase, where it's just you do two months of building your strength, a month to go out and do twos, do threes, and really show your strength or do max reps on your chin-ups. And one of the things we found is the last couple of while since the gym reopened from the lockdown, people have been getting strong again and we've been going well. But in the last cycle, because people are hitting numbers they haven't hit before, it kind of gets addictive and you think you should be every single week. So one of the battles we had with a couple of people is actually that demotivation that when they come in tired... Oh, well, I did my best ever lift last week. There's no way I can do it. And it's almost a barrier to actually come and train. So something we brought in in our class is that concept of auto-regulation. We're going to keep trying to educate our members on it. Of basically, if you feel good and you've done all the training, today might be the day where you lift a little bit heavier than you did last week with go for. If you're not quite there, you can drop the weight by 10, 15%. It's still a good maintenance stimulus. Or you just push the reps out to fives, do it lighter, and get the stimulus that way. Um, but then, again, that removes a barrier for someone who's training, who's more advanced, of going, actually, I don't have to PB every single day, but I do need to go to the gym. So, again, so take the running example. Say, for instance, you're starting to get into running. You want to run it every other day. And you've done a couple of weeks of training and you're feeling smoked on the one day, often what what we'll do is all or nothing, okay, I can't run, I'm not going to do it. And then you don't do it and you break the habit, whereas actually, as you said, you have your shoes out, get your shoes on. Okay, I'm just going to go out and start and even if I do 85% of the pace that I did last week or 85% of the distance that's still at least a maintenance stimulus and you're keeping the habit going so hopefully that helps people as well to understanding that you can tweak things on how your body's feeling and keep keep the movement going as opposed to stopping because you don't feel a hundred percent on a given day because it's very unrealistic that you ever will in a professional sport environment or in a general population environment
1: what i'd always feel in those situations where you're not physically at your peak and you you might even be physically developing you might be physically maintaining those sessions are where your robustness and your resilience is progressing that's what I always find so like if I'm stiff and I don't want to run even though I'm not running at better pace than I was last week my mind is getting stronger and I'm building up you know like it's those days where you don't want to train that you you build that resilience and you build those habits get even stronger because you mean like if I can go on a day where I feel shit and still tip away and feel good and keep my habits and keep that momentum up that's, that's the way I always look at it. So if I'm not physically at my top, I'm not great. It's a chance to improve resilience and robustness. And as long as I'm not, my body's not completely broken down, I'm going to injure myself. So I always kind of like to flip, flip it that way and tell myself, right, not a physical development session. Today is a mental development session. And for me, that's always a nice little boost. And then the run could turn out to be better than I thought. And then I feel, gee, are we talking about yeah, right? last night? Was Mike last, yeah, last night. night. But then, then you feel yeah. shit hot. Like you're like, like you know, I, I you know, yeah. got up, didn't feel great. I and mean, then you've got it's bang
3: for buck on both fronts. Yeah, I was like that last night. Like I, I didn't want to get out. I didn't want to get out for a run. I was kind of moving around. I said, I'd just get my steps in and go for a walk. But I knew I needed to run. I needed to get a couple of more kilometers in for the week. When's the half marathon? How many weeks? Uh, yesterday, four weeks. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. we're nearly there. <laughs> um, so I I literally just jumped up off the couch at about six o'clock yesterday evening, and I probably went out and ran my most comfortable five k I've ever ran. I've been easily able to kind of fluctuate between. Uh, different times per kilometre throughout the five kilometres and finished quite well and like I said, Tyrone's there before we came on air here uh, that like probably the best I felt having run 5K and it was over before I knew it. Like it just was back done and I was like, that was so easy. Like it was felt as easy as that 5K has ever felt for me and I had no desire to run last night but just, yeah, it's a bit bit like the way I suppose you were saying Keith, sending you messages. Like I, I just... I knew there was other people out there. I knew I had to put the, I had to put the effort in. I actually saw a neighbour of mine going out for a run at five and I kind of was like, ah, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go off and get tugged off and go. So yeah, it's one of those days where you build, like you said, Rory, you build, build that mental resilience and feel, feel a bit better for it and a bit stronger for it as well. Fair play. Well, look, Keane, you've been incredible with your time. Uh, so I just want to ask you a couple of
1: things. Obviously, you're in the middle of Six Nations campaign at the minute with the, the Irish women's team a uh, couple of tough tough weeks in a row um, I'd imagine you know if we, if we had you at the start of Six Nations like you're obviously coming in there's a huge amount of buzz coming in what, what's it like in a minute just being in that environment with you know pretty new squad new faces new buzz about the place take the results aside but is it a very exciting place to be to be at the minute
0: absolutely and I think again we come back to what we're talking about a lot a lot this morning is like we've set our goals for the Six Nations our goal was not something you know super uh, high level of we need to win the six nations and win a grand slam and six games you know we had to understand where we were but our goal was to give 100 percent in every game and and we feel like we're doing that and we feel like the game plan-, plan we're implementing is getting better and better with with every iteration of it we understand that new management are in there and we're we're all trying to work together to to get the most out of ourselves and out of the team and i think having those goals set out early on of like yes we would love to win every game yes that's our goal but if that doesn't happen does that mean it's an unsuccessful campaign or are we building towards that big macro plan of right if this Six Nations isn't unbelievable it's got the ball rolling you know it's the same for professional sport as it is for the general population this is our you know our opportunity to to set the stage for what's coming down the line And, and obviously World Cup coming up again in a couple of years like that's the bigger target it's not it's not that we've failed if something doesn't go 100% to plan for this Six Nations. It's only a small window within a, within a big period. And, and I think that's, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to focus on ourselves and our plan and our processes. And it's exciting just to even be part of that. Even if we are looking at results that, for example, in the weekend against France, you're, you know, you're up against a big physical team and it just doesn't go your way. Okay, well, what's our learnings from it? What do we do differently next time? And hopefully we do it against Italy then this weekend in Musgrave Park.
1: Amazing yeah and for yourself then obviously you to kind of to talked about your journey in coaching you obviously have some exciting news do you want to drop it here is, it, is this in circulation at the minute does everyone know what the crack is or
0: yeah so I uh and, and I suppose coming back to my my planning as a coach was always to try and just put myself in positions where I'm always learning and always growing and developing and you know you look at yourself as a as a coach at 27 and you're thinking. I'm surrounding myself with people that look like they've they've made it and completed the coaching journey, but how do I get there? And I always again tried to just put myself in positions where I was growing and I was maybe somewhat uncomfortable to to keep challenging myself and thankfully now that's sort of continuing to pay off and I've I've actually accepted a job then with uh Blackburn Rovers. So I'm starting with them in the championship in probably about five or six weeks now at this stage. Um so catch the end of their season championship. They're currently pushing for playoffs. Um I think they're sixth at the moment, so hopefully that that continues and uh, they'll be beating Leeds next year. Then and in, in the Premiership and we'll be uh, oh, oh, oh,
1: delighted. Hopefully in the Premiership, not the Championship. Yes. a lot can <laughs> still happen over the next few weeks. That, that 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 must be very exciting though. Like is it kind of and like are you nervous? Then you know thinking right, like rugby is kind of in my background with between Monster and Ireland. Like, does it change? Does, does it matter?
0: Yeah, I try. And again, it comes back to what I what I always tell you know patients or athletes is that. You're just trying to you're trying to adapt yourself and adapt your plan, whether it's an individual trying to adapt their running plan or a coach trying to adapt themselves to the environment. If I have my systems and processes in place and I understand how I want to deal with people and what I want them to do from my perspective as an SNC coach, but also how do I, I want to be treated and how should I treat them? Yes, it's a different environment. Yes, it's a different sport. Yes, it, there's always going to be cultural differences. Um, but that's the exciting part and that's where I feel like I'm going to grow and hopefully I can help the team grow by bringing in new experiences that maybe you know they've been surrounded by a lot of people that are are very high level football brains whereas maybe I'm coming in as a bit of an outsider and you know there's no two ways about it I I don't have a huge football background but I'm hoping that that can be you know a point of difference that I can bring something maybe slightly slightly new even just challenge current ways and if if we find out that they're doing everything brilliantly keep going but but i think it's nice to maybe be coming in at a time when they're doing quite well and hopefully they continue to do so and and, you know being part of that journey because ultimately that's that's what coaching is it's it's not about hitting pbs every day and and winning every game and winning every championship you play in. it's actually about developing and and you know making the athletes better and comes back to the pyramid we talked about earlier you know enjoying it like ultimately it's they've made a decision to be professional athletes. And if I can make it more enjoyable by making them more robust and being available for more games and being fitter and stronger. So they feel like they're winning more balls and getting that extra yard of space in football or being more dominant in that collision, having more post tackle efforts in rugby. Like that's, that's my job is just to see them come out come away from a game and feel like, yeah, I gave everything and and I didn't feel like I lacked physical, you know, components that, that held me back. If, if they can feel like that's not a not a pitfall for them I'm happy that you know that's my
1: job Awesome and Rudd's is obviously big big soccer guy so if you need any tips from Ruds uh, the Welsh Riviera Swansea Ruds you grew up obviously kicking a lot of ball around I'd
2: imagine I was like that uh, P.A.K. from John Smith's that my boots it have it <laughs> <laughs> Very good well look uh, Mikey we kick it over to you for your quick fire round for Keem
3: before we get him out here to get back to Absolutely. back to work Absolutely uh, right keen five questions. Uh just be as quick as you can with the answers. Don't think about it too much. Whatever comes to mind. Uh first question, Leinster or Munster?
0: Oh no. I knew this was coming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how did you know? Game on the weekend. oh Watched yeah. it. Yeah. It was very 50-50 in the first half and I didn't know who I wanted to win. Really? But I, I, you have to go back with your your original original team and your original love and I have to say
3: Leinster. So unless we were getting ahead in the second half, you weren't willing, once on, to come back and get into the game and make it a tighter game? No, one you were going to see Mike today? like you know. you know those kids that wear the
0: 50-50 jerseys, the games where they cut them in the middle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. But it was 55-45 oh. for a Leinster jersey. You're like <laughs>
3: Levi, he's got a half T-Kenny, half Limerick jersey. He does, he does. <laughs> um, so, next one. Good answer. Don't like it, but a good answer. Um, sports person or per- any person at all that you admire the most? So
0: in the clinic there's uh one of the one of the main coaches who's actually he's actually just finished up with us with us uh there recently he's moving over to Aspitar to work with qatar uh, ahead of the world cup football again and and his name's ender king and and i think a lot of people probably refer to him as a mentor but he's just an unbelievable person to learn from and and i think you know for me it's it's so closely related to sport it's a coach it's someone that Understand so many elements of physical performance, but also managing people. And I think you know, if we can just pick someone to try and aspire to to be a bit more like them, and it doesn't matter who that is, it doesn't matter if they change, but that's certainly someone at the moment now that I'm looking at. Going, you know, if I can if I can take some of his characteristics into into my coaching journey, I think I'll I'll be better for it. And yeah, he's he's going to be a big loss to the clinic, but what uh, Ireland's loss is certainly
3: Qatar's gain for the World Cup,
0: but who
3: knows what will come of that super good answer uh right we're nearly there you can invite three people to dinner who are they and quickly why um so i've been reading a lot of books at the moment and
0: kind of trying to you know expand my knowledge on just different areas that maybe i don't see a lot of from a certainly technical perspective you spend a lot of time looking at how to make lifts stronger movements you know better and make people more competent but I really enjoyed sort of the soft skill side of it and this the psychology side of it and you know been reading a lot about that and there's there's kind of three authors that always stick out to me and probably three books that I recommend to people a lot but one of them being um, uh, guy Mark Manson uh, the subtle art his name of the book and um, very very good book really interesting guy um, suffered a lot with various types of addiction but talks a lot about how you care less which is kind of a bit of a random you know concept and you think of why should you care less surely we need to pick things to care more about so i think he'd be a very interesting person to to sit down with um ryan holiday is another one uh quite a you know stoic individual and and deals a lot with uh philosophy but brings it into modern day life and i think you know he's written a, a couple of books is relatively well known at the moment um but i think he was a ceo of american apparel when he was quite young so he's been through a lot probably another inter- interesting yeah individual and seeing as i mentioned it earlier james clear um from atomic habits i think someone who's had such a big impact on so many people when you think of coaching if we can take take learnings from someone who writes a book and helps a lot of people you know how do we help more people as coaches rather than just looking at that sort of echo chamber of coaches why don't we look a bit further afield and again i just think authors are so interesting because so many people from so many different backgrounds can benefit. So, yeah, there's three people.
3: Nice. Interesting answer. Quite a reserved dinner, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not very entertaining for no, someone. No. <laughs> uh, then nearly there. What was when you were at FS as a coach? What was your favorite class to coach here?
0: So I I loved all of them, and and I think they were all great for for various different reasons because of the different sort of you know athletes that be coming into them, but. I always loved Metcon just being able to count down and shouting out the time. There's something about, uh, you know, screaming at people. Being in control. It being in control, yeah, yeah. It sounds a bit sadistic <laughs> if you say it like that, but uh, no, there was something about a Metcon class just trying to get the extra, you know, inch out of people when they're there, but make them enjoy that sort of, you know, that sort of pain. suffering and pain, if you call it yeah. that. But it's tough when you're there, but I think when you finish it, you just feel so good. And if you can, if you can push people to get that last in shade of themselves I think they they feel better for it
1: yeah. I, I thought I might said lower body with the, yourself the bull and steel used to a lot of people know the bull obviously uh, he, he was the guy who was going to decide whether you or Steele actually got offered a job here um, anyone who knows the bull this is obviously an inside joke for anyone who doesn't but he, he really is the main man here he makes all the decisions calls all the shots behind the scenes so yeah <laughs> he
0: pushed on a couple of my PBs that he just screamed at me so maybe that's where I took that, uh, that <laughs> level of screaming
3: from <laughs> And then finally, just to wrap it up then, Keane, uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given in your career so far?
0: I'm going to reference another author. This is, it sounds like I'm a really boring person reading loads of books, but there's another book called Grit. And, and a lot of coaches have said this to me in, in loads of sort of different ways, but the idea of like, how do we keep pushing for that goal of being better versions of ourselves, better coaches, better whatever, family members, you know, partners, whatever it might be, but... Angela Duckworth is the the author of grit and the the whole concept of the book is it's passion plus perseverance or passion times perseverance I'm not sure which way they, they pitch it but having both of those is what gives you that grit and you know grit is something that we always think if you can keep pushing on but how do I keep pushing on when I lack motivation well it's having passion for what you're doing but also persevering through the times where maybe it's a it's a mental battle it's no longer a physical battle and you know just just bringing that into everyday life and I, I think that's such an important thing from my journey as a coach I'm I'm passionate about it but it's certainly taken a lot of perseverance and there's been a lot of call them setbacks or just maybe things that didn't quite go your way but you always know that if you're if you're pushing towards that bigger picture comes back to the games again we're talking about results that don't go your way you know having a passion for the game but also being perseverant with uh, your game plan with your structure with your processes I just don't think you can go too far wrong. So, yeah, that's my piece of advice. Be gritty.
1: Super. Really good answer. Nice. Keen, thanks so much for your time. Like, really just good to chat to and catch up. Uh, obviously, best of luck with the rest of the Six Nations and big best of luck with everything happening over in Blackburn. Hopefully, we'll hopefully see you in the Premiership next year for a game.
0: Fingers um, crossed. Fingers crossed. Thanks for your time. Thanks Take across.
1: care. Cheers, Keen. Cheers. Thanks,